You're listening to Hey everyone, welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club, the podcast where we go over all the good pop that gets us through our day. Um, we are at the end of September, believe it or not, so it's time for another round of Do We Want This? where we go over um, the latest, uh, I guess, entertainment news and announcements. But I don't know, Marvin. Do we want anything right now? <laughs> we are I recording. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. We're, I mean, I guess we'll find out in about a month. A little over a month to see if there's any hope left in this world. Um, but mm, I don't know. Yeah. I'm feeling optimistic. And now that I've said that, I've entered, <laughs> I've now jinxed us. You hear it. You hear it. You <laughs> now, when you say it out loud, this is the dread setting in. <laughs> you sound so foolish to yourself right now. <laughs> it's okay. I got my Canadian passport. That's, exit that's true. You have an exit plan. Yo, yeah. homie, we don't, or I don't. <laughs> I keep yes. trying to get Marvin to marry me, and he's just like, I think my girlfriend gets first dibs. And I was like, yeah. poo, poo on you. She yeah, she's so selfish. I mean, <laughs> you, you got your doctor exit plan, so all you have to do is move to Florida. Oh. What? That is that is the opposite <laughs> of a contingency plan. That's like a do you want to cry more plan. That's like a negative A plan A. I don't even know. It like literally just broke my brain. <laughs> oh, joining me this week again on the Good Pop Culture Club, my fellow co-host, uh, self-proclaimed professional Asian American Jess Jew. What's up, Hi. Jess? Hi. I want to. Uh, can I like recant that? I just want to be. Uh, I'm just. Can I just be a professional anxious person now? <laughs> ball of anxiety. No. Professional ball of anxiety. This week's debate. I like. I turned it on for ten seconds, and I was like, No, I can't take this. <sighs> I could feel my heart rate rising within like seconds of hearing their voices. So yeah, I muted them. So it's just basically <laughs> a screensaver now. Oh man! Also joining us, <laughs> professional culture editor Han Win. What's up, Han? Yeah, uh, doing great. Muting that debate. Best decision I've made. It's a weird time, but it's times like this that I'm glad that we have good pops, such as the um, Great British Bake Off coming back to. Uh, Soothe our souls. This season is already so flipping great. I cannot. It's brought me so much. It's brought me the most joy I've ever experienced in the last six months. I would include. I would also like to say it's Fat Bear Week, and that is also very good. Fat Bear Week. Yes, yes. There, there were especially fat this year. So That's check good. them out. Yes, That's check good them news. out. What's what's yeah. a what is a fat bear week? Well, the bears and especially in Alaska, um, they're celebrated this you know each um each year with a fat bear week, and then you can vote on which one's the fattest, and then they show pictures of the bears and videos of the bears. Um, <laughs> it's on and, Twitter. I think if you use the hashtag yeah. fat bear week, yeah. And I think um, has it's this also, been a thing that yeah. I've just not yes. known oh, about yeah. my it's entire an life? Thing. Yes, yes. They yeah, soothe yourself with some fat bears. Yeah, it means they've succeeded in fattening themselves up this summer to like go into hibernation. It's like apparently not real hibernation. I went on this very weird deep dive <laughs> into bear biology, but basically they are going to lose all this weight when the food's gone mm-hmm. in the summer. So this is like also a way to help like a lot of the scientists and park rangers like keep track and. 
see like how the bears are doing overall and it's it's a very wholesome thing no one's killing the bears you're just taking pictures of the fat bears doesn't hibernation sound great just about now like if we can just like go to sleep until hibernate for like four years yeah so yeah like eat a lot gain weight maybe get voted the fattest that'd be great and then (laughs) go to sleep and then wake up when everything's better yeah, the winning the fattest is really key to this process. Oh God, though. yes. <laughs> I mean, the fatter you are, the more you can hibernate, right? The more you can like. Yeah, yeah. You you have a longer time. <laughs> so, how many shin ramens with American cheese do you think oh I have to God. eat to become the fattest bear? I mean, a few cases. Um, but I would also say, like, isn't has anyone tried the tonkatsu? Ramen? What? No. Yeah. What brand? There's, shin? There's, there's one. It's, it's flaw. no shin. There's okay, one flaw cool. in this plan, though. Which is? Which is all that sodium. As a not no longer young person, I need to think about these types of things. Well, you <laughs> may not win Fattest Bear, but just <laughs> I and did, I, we're going we're gonna to yeah, try. I, speaking of our impending mortality, I did sprain my back this weekend, and <gasps> I've never felt more old. As so a, that's as a great. young person, you sprained your back. I was carrying you? something inappropriately. I mean, for just like one, I was l- doing the right form, all of it, and then I mm. just like one, just one time, you know, kind of didn't do it right way. I realized really to lift with your legs, you really gotta like pretend mm-hmm. like you're doing the wop dance, you know, yep. like really like <laughs> straight black back butts out, you know, using mm-hmm. them legs, and I'm just like, ooh, I should have, I should have known better. But you live and you learn. Welcome to the club, Jess. I know. I hate it here. here. (laughs) I hate it here. Remember when we used to be able to drink all the broth in our pho? (laughs) That for me is the the mark of a good pho. And I've had plenty of bad pho's where I'm not going to finish the broth. So. I just started making my own pho now. That's like another oh, quarantine you? hobby. Yeah, it's like very basic. I would never serve it to a Vietnamese oh. person, but it does the job for me. You're probably like- doing it better than me. I haven't done one. Um, but I do have to say, I was in your part of town this past weekend, mm. and I got some Vietnamese food because I went to Summer Roll. Oh, hey. nice. And I got about four different things, and I'm still eating Vietnamese food, you know, we love this to week. see it. We yeah. love to see it. Not an ad, but they should be paying us anyways. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's actually not too bad. So, you know, um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm I'm happy. Well, as I mentioned at the top of this show, we're going to be talking about the latest entertainment news this episode. But before we get to that, we're going to shake it up a little bit for this week's What's Poppin' uh, because... Over the next month, it's the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival 2020. The LAAPFF is an annual film festival that usually happens in spring, but has been delayed till fall this year because of COVID. And for the first time, it's 100% virtual. Um, So how it works is every weekend from Thursday to Sunday, the festival will premiere a slate of films for everyone to watch. And you can get tickets to screen them uh, by going to festival.vcmedia.org. Um, this weekend is the second week of the festival. And for the next few weeks, the Good Pop Culture Club will be offering our staff picks for the festival to let you know about some stuff that we think you should check out. So yeah, Jess, what's your pick for this week? Yes, yeah, so I was able to see this film actually in Sundance earlier this year, but feels like a million years ago, you know, when life was still normal and you could go watch things in the theater, which um, I so miss that right now. I really miss theater. So maybe that's kind of a bias, like maybe I have fond memories because this is actually a very bleak 
but important documentary. My pick is A Thousand Cuts. It is a documentary feature by Ramona S. Diaz, and it follows the story of a journalist, Maria Reza, who started a, um, I guess, an online outlet, journalism outlet called The Rappler in the Philippines. And it is very eerie. Um, because, you know, if you haven't been following the news, Maria Reza actually just recently lost her most recent lawsuit. Um, that the and, and this is all tied up with the junk terror bill in the Philippines and kind of President Duterte's rise of authoritarianism. And basically, there's a lot of similarities between what's happening in the Philippines and what's happening here in the United States. So watch it, you know, if you can stomach that. And the documentary, I mean, Ramona Diaz... Did, I think she went to get footage for something else and ended up being like following the campaign of like several candidates running under Duterte's party, which I mean, it's bananas. Like you think our election is bananas? Like there is like a 300% more karaoke singing in Filipino elections than there is in the United States. And I don't think the candidates knew what she was going to do with it. So they gave her pretty open access to some of this stuff. And it's just striking the similarities of what happened in the Philippines, what's happening here now in the United States, Maria, but Maria Reza and her, the, the other co-founders of Rappler, who are all these very badass women, you know, are kind of the last stand of journalism in the Philippines. They keep reporting on things and her staff, her journalists, when they were filming them, all very young people. It's, it's an entirely digital outfit. It's all millennials running, you know, these stories and just being incredibly brave in the face of this very scary situation, which I'm just like, I could not do that. So I thought it was extremely effective. I was very inspired by the work that Maria and her employees were doing. It's really sad, bittersweet now, knowing basically what has happened several months after that she actually was at Sundance and the crazy thing is she basically travels throughout this documentary she gets an award I think she was a time 100 like most important you know time most influential person she was a part of three journalists awarded for their commitment to truth and fair journalism in the rise of authoritarianism she's like hobnobbing with the Clooney's and they're like trying to you know they're helping her out on their human rights front and like she just keeps going back like she could have very easily just left and been like, this is not my problem. It's too dangerous. And she just is so committed. And it's it's like very heroic, I think. And I really hope she's okay. Um, And we'll see. And I do think it's, you know, we like to not confront things. There's this idea that you don't like to confront things when it's your own backyard. But seeing it in another place might awaken some things in you. Yeah. Like seeing real life depictions of literal freedom fighters makes you think about what would you do if it happened here, right? I mean, sadly, some of that are not hypothetical questions anymore. And that's, you know, something personally, I think, I think, you know, I do think you have to be in a fairly emotionally healthy place to watch this documentary right now, because I think it does stir up a lot of questions about what's happening in our country right now. And I would know it would bum me out. Um, if I was watching it on a particularly rough day, but it, it is it is so bizarre. Like I, I can't even describe to you. It lo- it seems like you're watching an onion set, like a satire, like the way these elect the election is running in the Philippines, and then you're like, oh no, 
this is very serious and then you like look in the mirrors what's happening right now you're like oh no (laughs) yeah no i agree uh the whole marie rosa i have so much respect for because you know it's like as a journalist myself and but someone who covers entertainment i've always been you know i felt a little bit protected but like all the people who are reporting on politics and trying to actually tell the truth despite all the government trying to undermine them and convict them and make them you know criminalized uh it's it's just insane and so yes this is actually also happening in our our country but it sometimes it does take looking at it you know through a different lens to actually see it so yeah it's it's worth it's worth watching yeah. Yeah. You can catch it this weekend at the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival online. I think it starts October 1st and runs through October 4th. Yeah. Uh, Han, do you have a pick for us? Yeah. A lot lighter. Something that you <laughs> oh, don't thank have God. To, yeah, something you don't really have to brace yourself for. Um, it's called uh, The Girl Who Left Home. It's a musical uh, by Mallory Ortega. This is her feature directorial debut. She's done some shorts like Mango Sticky Rice, which was also a musical. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, it's about a young woman named Christine. She's like doing really well in LA. She just landed like the lead in a musical production. She sings and dances. And yes, you see her sing and dance within the first five minutes. So that's great. Um, But then she finds out her dad died. So she goes back home to Maryland. um, And there's uh, a family business where that's a restaurant. um, And there's a lot of drama. And there's even an ex- and there's lots of crying. And there is also Paolo Montalban, who, as we know, was the prince in Cinderella, uh, in Brandy Cinderella. So um, you get to also see him sing and dance. You can't uh, see this, but Jess just perked up in her seat. <laughs> I do I have just... to say, which I kind of also love. So he's all hunky in Cinderella. Here he is the 45 or 40-ish year old uh, Tito, his uncle. Oh, he's not who, daddy? No, no, no. He's not dead. He is alive. Uh-huh. And he is also awkward because he uses horrible slang because he's an awkward uncle. Doesn't um, matter. Still can get no, it. No, exactly. It's kind of delightful because there are times you're cringing and times you're just like, oh, that's very true of uncles. Um, and there, you know, like there are some other parts that, like, there's another like auntie who constantly is just pulling out 20s from wherever she's hiding it and like forcing it on Christine. And that's so like my aunt that it just like, it it makes certain, certain things are so true. But also what I love is, you know, they are in a restaurant. So there are some food scenes, not as many as I wanted, but there's also uh, food scenes where there's food given for love, which I enjoyed. Uh, I think, her mom at one point makes an ube cookie, which is really cool because I love the color of ube. So it like shows off really well. Um, as um, Christine herself apparently had gone to culinary school. So she also knows how to make food well. Um, yeah. So it, I, I felt in a way it was kind of like a Hallmark movie, but with Asians and no actual romance. So it's like that prodigal daughter coming home and mm. figuring out her life and stuff like that so yeah there's some good stuff there yeah so the most important part of a musical movie <laughs> is the music so how's the music in this film 
Uh, the music's good. It's, they are very much musical films. It's not like, you know, don't expect this to be a Hamilton. Um, there's no rapping. They are very heartfelt um, songs. Some of them are kind of jokier, like uh, Paolo Montalban does a very cheeky song where she, he dances like in the restaurant with like whists and stuff. Um <laughs> And yeah, so there's a lot of cry singing too. Um, there's also a karaoke moment where she sings with her mom. So, um, and then there's a song near the end that I was just like, okay, I'm crying. Like I didn't love all the songs, but they they had enough heartfelt moments. I think that um, they worked for me. And um, the lead Haven Everly, who plays Christine, is excellent. So she's an excellent singer. I wish there was more dancing. Dancing, you <laughs> see her dancing some. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I really enjoyed it as, cause I've never seen this type of Asian musical, you know, I think we, previously we've seen stuff like Bollywood, um, and which is a totally different beast. This does feel a little bit more like, um, a stage production, I feel. So yeah. it's it, because, yeah, they're not taking breaks to sing in a, in a logical way. They're breaking <laughs> out into song. Yeah. Into it check it out all right so this week i wanted to highlight a shorts program since um starting this weekend there are a ton of shorts programs happening at the la asian pacific film festival that will be playing throughout the whole entire month one of my favorite parts of going to a festival has always been checking out the shorts because uh you get to see a bunch of different stories from a bunch of different storytellers at the same time. And it's always interesting to see um, what people come up with when not having to worry about um, creating a 90-minute feature film. And the truth is, outside of film festivals, you don't get a chance to see shorts in any other context, right? So that, that's always been a cool thing. So um, the shorts program I want to highlight is called Across the Dinner Table. It's a collection of short films that all have to do with the theme of food. and um, and as cliche as talking about food and dinner is in the context of Asian American media, um, the truth, um, I think, um, I think it's, I think it's not a stretch to, I don't think it's a stretch to say that food culture is still very much the entry point and kind of the most relatable piece of our culture that everyone can relate to um because for a lot of us food is probably the only link um food is probably one of the strongest links we have to our culture um especially those of us who are children of immigrants um and stories that revolve around that is important to us um it helps us connect to our cultures per se right so this shorts program has a collection of i believe eight short films it's a variety of both narrative and documentary um as well as different styles. So there's an animated short about a granny and her granddaughter who run a fishball stand in Hong Kong. Uh, there's a short about a Korean mom who visits her daughter's house and meets her daughter's partner. Uh, one of the films is an exploration on like refugee trauma, memory, and connection through the preparation of papaya salad, uh, which is a dish that is shared amongst a lot of Southeast Asian uh, cuisines. And there's even a travel log about the, um, what do you call the districts in Paris? Arrondissement. Yeah, yeah there's one about the 13th, <laughs> um, one of those, which apparently is one of the biggest Vietnamese enclaves Ooh, in France. 
I am so down for this theme. <laughs> you know, like, Same. As- yeah, I mean, like I said, it's almost a cliche now to um, have stories focused on food. But at the same time, food culture is really important to a lot of us um, in the Asian American community. And it's a really not only easy, but strong connection to make. I mean, yes, it's true. And I mean, did I drive a long way to get Vietnamese food this past weekend and then <laughs> and then like stock up on like four or five different meals so I could eat it throughout the week? Yes. So, but it's it's true. And I think it's when it comes to w- these sort of immigrant stories, it makes sense for it to always kind of uh, have resonance but also, like, we like food and we're not ashamed of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, check it out. Again, the shorts program is called Across the Dinner Table. It will become available starting this Thursday and running through the end of the month. And check out the other shorts programs, too. There's a ton of them for the festival, um, ranging from stories of family, of, again, food, um, love, um, even some weird shit. You know, and that's always the fun of, like, these shorts programs. Sometimes... You find some real, real fun stuff that you might miss elsewhere. You can watch all of our picks by going to festival.vcmedia.org um, and checking out the lineup for the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival. So definitely go check it out. And with that, uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to take a look at the latest entertainment news and ask ourselves if we want this. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. We're the host of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Every month we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a wide variety of genres from contemporary to historical fiction, fantasy to memoirs, and crime thrillers to romance. Some of our past book club picks are Pachinko by Minjin Lee, Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho, and Devotion of Suspect X by Keigo Higashino. We also go over what's new in the Asian American literary world and chat with some talented Asian authors about their work. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. We're here at the end of September, making it through another month of uh life under covid um there's been a I lot i literally was talking to my mom earlier today i was like oh yeah but you know it's only august and she's like what are you talking about it's almost october and i was like oh yeah you're right <laughs> you got you got your eight months wrong august and october used to be the eighth month according to different calendars i've also been listening to christmas music since july so i you know i'm sure that plays into it and you know it doesn't really matter it doesn't really matter, truly. Oh, well, there was actually a ton of news. So um, let's, uh, let's do our monthly news roundup um, in a segment we love to call, Do We Want This? So Jess, what's our first story? Lifetime has announced that they're going to have their first movie featuring or centering a Chinese-American family. It's called A Sugar and Spice Holiday. And it stars an Asian cast with an Asian writer attached, an Asian director. And, you know, our favorite dad, Tai Ma, is going to play the dad in this one as well. So, yeah, I'm going to say we want this, Marvin. Like, straight up, this is like one of the, like, 
fun, happy things that have come out news-wise on the entertainment front. Um, I am a, like, Christmas movie bitch. Like, I love cheesy shit. I love rom-coms. It involves, like, we talked about how food is, like, a little bit of a cliche now, but it involves baking. And you know what? It's a Christmas movie. I better get every fucking cliche thrown in this movie, (laughs) but with, like, Asian people. So what... So what is the premise of this one? So it's about a Chinese-American family who has to go to her, who enters a baking competition, a Christmas baking competition back in her, you know, small hometown in like the Northeast. I mean, they run a like a like a seafood restaurant and she has to use her like grandmother's recipes to win. And then, of course, the love interest is a former high school friend who is like now glowed up and you know there's gonna be uh some some fire some heat this is all great honestly <laughs> this this movie could have a freaking like plot point about a constitutional amendment hidden inside an acorn ornament which is a real plot point of another christmas I, movie i know that movie <laughs> and i will defend this movie to the death you can't say nothing about it. I want it. I can't wait for it. I want to feel the joy. I'm going to make myself a flipping gingerbread pagoda with like allspice and shit in it. And I'm going to I'm going to drink some hot cocoa even though like LA Christmases like can be like 80 degrees. And I'm going to wear my ugly Christmas sweater and watch this damn movie and enjoy every minute of it, okay? I'm ready. <laughs> I also watch all the Christmas movies and sometimes like I get so sick of them after watching like the 20th one. And then I'll be like, no, no, I'm not going to get this again. So (laughs) I am so down for this also. I mean, I'm a big fan of all those like terrible Netflix rom-coms. There are some good ones. What's your favorite setup? I can tell you mine. Mine is the uh, fake relationship. Fake, okay. fake relationship. I love enemies to lovers. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. That's another good one because that's good dialogue. It's like I love the witty banter and you know like sexual you know hate and hate and love are opposite sides of the same coin for yeah. my friends. It's very like his girl Friday. There's a lot of good banter. So yeah. Oh yeah, I love a good banter. Um you know I've I've even watched like the ridiculous non-Christmas ones. There's like this very weird mm-hmm. one with like Rob Lowe in Africa and I saw that elephants one. <laughs> and it's like actually terrible but great. Um it's just fun I- and you know <laughs> these are easy jobs for the actors you know they don't have to like lose weight they don't have to do any of this stuff it's like we're gonna shoot for like 30 days i do feel easy like every peasy. other one of these is about like an architect who goes home someone who <laughs> goes home from the big city absolutely yeah. and then they have to face something about where they came from <laughs> and their past have you seen that meme where they're like program like a thousand hours of christmas movies into a ai program and made them write like two pages of scripts yes, and so it good. actually was like not bad the script was like i own a christmas tree farm and you know what give me a million of those during christmas oh, that's yes. what christmas is about it's something i'm gonna make my mom watch it with me she's probably gonna complain through the whole thing but it's fine we're gonna have a good time oh yeah yeah so i appreciate that this is a lifetime movie that is written and has like a crew of Asian like behind the scenes because well I mean not that I didn't have much faith in Lifetime I don't really but um, at, at least shows that they're thinking about at least some cultural sensitivity things 
Um, uh, my question yeah. to you is, mm-hmm. what are some inside jokes like that only Asians would know that you want them to slip in here about Asians and Christmas? I uh, hope that there's scenes of them like saving and reusing wrapping paper. Uh, um, I would like to see egg rolls. Like, I hate to say that, <laughs> but at every event, you know. Big tray, big tray, the aluminum tray. The big aluminum tray, yes. You have to take off your shoes. And if this family has a real tree, that is false. Right. Even if they live in Maine, what like all the f- evergreen firs are. <sighs> Is that aesthetic? Because we also have to make sure it's like aesthetically pleasing. They, right? they like do want it very point. Christmassy. Yeah. yeah. Half the point of a Christmas movie is like the snow and the decorations and the lights and the fuzzy sweaters and the cute earmuffs, you know? I'd like to see an empty box of Danish cookies yes. holding <laughs> leftovers or wrapping, ingre- pre- wrapping or, present supplies. Or they or can use kit. it. They would be like, grab the sewing kit and it's the danish cookies yes tin. yes yes um or maybe the constitutional amendment will be hidden inside the tin of danish <laughs> cookies that does not hold danish cookies so what's a trope you don't want to see Ooh. family honor filial <laughs> duty i'm so sick of honor oh um, um, I mean, the love interest is Asian. You know, he's this, he's a very uh he's a very attractive like hapa boy. Uh, and I'm just like, oh, let's let's see some like let's see some Asian on Asian love. You know, like no no commentary about how like she usually doesn't. I don't think I don't Does, think Irene would do this, but like commentary <laughs> about, like hey, you should she don't find Asian boys attractive. I was like, shut up, they're hot. Does Lifetime get sexy? Um, kind no, of. they're not like kind much. of not so, no like <laughs> Lifetime is basically like a step up from Hallmark because mm. they've been doing some color conscious casting for quite a while and have been playing with like you know gay supporting storylines. Mm. Um, but, but I'm not they asking have, about representation. I'm asking about the I quality. know. So it's more like that's emotional porn, right? It's emotional romantic they, porn, Marvin. It's it's not about showing your genitals. It's about showing your heart. Lifetime is still <laughs> basic cable, so mm. <laughs> they like can only do so much. And it yeah, and it is a. It is a Christmas movie, yeah. so once you're not you're not watching Christmas movies for the schlong, Marvin. You're watching <laughs> it for the romance, for yeah. the for the sweetness, for the good feeling. No Christmas mm. schlong. No Christmas schlong. <laughs> unfortunately, oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> yes. So yes, we want this. I think it's coming out in November, um, and I'm very excited. This might be the first lifetime Christmas movie I'll ever watch. I we should w- definitely do like some kind of like digital watch party. Yeah. Everyone bring a gingerbread and your drink of choice and we will we will watch. Yes, please. And I think also I'm going to try to get together a list of some of my favorite of these movies um, that are across all the channels and we can trade them. So that way I can try to watch a few of yours, Jess, too, because, yeah, there's some that are actually pretty good. Other ones that are just formulaic. And so we watch them. But yeah. Yeah. You know, a little consistency wouldn't be the worst thing right now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we say yes. Yeah. All right, Han, what's your next story? So the story I have is that uh, Ron Howard, who we know, formerly of Happy Days, 
and is now a producer extraordinaire. Uh, so he was supposed to direct the biopic for the concert pianist Lang Lang. And um, some people had something to say about this, uh, specifically, um, who was it? Oh my God. Lulu Wong. Oh, Lulu Wong. Eh, not very thrilled with this um, because there's so much about his story that really would lose all the nuance from his uh from being told by this you know white guy and here's the thing like i gotta agree first of all he's directing it so we don't know yet about like who will be writing it but most likely it'd be one of his team but having seen ron howard and brian grazer having produced a lot of these genius you know, biopics for Nat Geo, and I've wanted to like them so much, and they've always fallen short for me. Uh, it, I, I can't see this as being good, just even from that point of view. I, I know there's an Aretha Franklin one coming up, um, and so fingers are kind of hopefully crossed for that. But yeah, I honestly, I don't see why he's not just producing and then hiring someone um, to direct and do all the other stuff uh there's still time for that he hasn't directed it yet so i say we don't want this as is um and hopefully he will see the light of day um but what what do you guys think yeah i don't know if i want this i mean so i'm interested in the story right because the story of long long the pianist um or lang lang i'm actually not sure how to pronounce his name i'm a bad chinese person um it explores both like Chinese culture, but also like cultural revolution, like Chinese history and like um, its relationship with the arts. And that's an interesting story to tell. I don't mind that Ron Howard is producing it. I do feel like, I mean, the way that it's being pitched sounds like, yeah, they're going for those Oscar tiers, right? But at the same time, we're at a point in time now where there are better choices for people to direct this film. Right, you can't say, "Oh, Ron Howard's the best person because of his track record." When you have like other people with maybe not equal prestige, but with prestigious like projects under their belt that can bring the nuance you need to take this to the next level, right? Because the last thing we want is a movie where they leave things on the table because they don't have the right perspective. I just don't understand what ron how like does this need to be like a hundred million dollar movie like is that why you need like a ron howard attached to it like in you know in theory or is it like and and to be honest i don't even really know what ron howard's like calling card is like to me he just kind of makes dad movies (laughs) like big blockbustery but like drama movies like if you were to like i would if you if i didn't have this knowledge and you were like pick out the ron howard movie i'd be like i don't know which one he did i i can't tell like he he, and maybe that's a maybe that's a product of him being so mainstream that his point of view is so is the mainstream right but i'm just like i I don't really understand what he adds to this project or what he other than he's ron howard a part of me wishes he was doing like the brad pitt thing where he just uses his like white man powers to uplift <laughs> other people. Um, yeah. Because there are a lot of directors now with those like two or three films under their belt who just need that introduction into a studio system. Yeah. And I mean, there are there are directors now like 
Lulu Wang, like Chloe Zhao, oh, like yes. Kathy Yan, who have proven themselves to be able to make a studio movie and also have the pre not the prerequisite, not that that's not the right word, but have the has at least the um, perspective of a Chinese person to know what to bring out of their their actors or their their story, right? I mean, this is the one case in which like actually having a director from China wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. a bad move like i'm usually very gung-ho about like asian american chinese american you know ex-american if you're gonna tell an ex-american story like you need the american perspective as well but like i mean lang lang is a he is very chinese and his story is very entrenched in chinese politics and social history and mentality and culture so like at this point i was like I mean, if we're gonna go for like big budget, like directors, like even Ang Lee would be a better choice at this point. <laughs> I, I also just feel, in general, like even if you weren't, yes, I prefer someone Chinese, but like even if you weren't going to, Ron Howard just doesn't make sense. Like for me, I keep thinking Apollo thirteen, like that's the type of you know, like broadly appealing, like you're saying, dad movie, white person movie that I think of. I mean, he's also done Da Vinci Code. Um, <laughs> Another movie, oh, God, just don't get. Me I forgot he that. was like the Tom Hanks guy for a while. <laughs> oh yeah, like, that's the that's the thing. Like other than okay, like is the signature that he works with Tom Hanks? I mean, uh, and all those white guys. So like he worked with uh, Russell Crowe a lot, and um, he did Backdraft. So all those kind of like alpha white guy actors, you know. Um, so Mel I did G- really like Splash, though. <laughs> Well, look, I'm not saying that he's a bad director by any means. And I think I actually like his comedies better than his Oscar winning swelling score type movies. Um, I feel like those are very formulaic and they they just you can feel the heartstrings trying to be pulled. So, um, Yeah. yeah, I don't want to see it with this. And especially when it's like for all the reasons you mentioned, but also musically, I I'm I'd be very afraid like. They can they mess it up perhaps with the music too. Uh, I don't know. I'm not. I I don't feel good about it. Like they need. I wonder to who it. they're gonna cast. That would be very interesting. I, I assume you want someone. I with like are they gonna do an Adrian Brody? Like you have to learn to play the piano because I'm assuming you want some nice shots, right? Of them. Yeah. At the piano, it'll be interesting because if 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 it is a co-pro, then like there's a lot of sensitive topics and i don't know how open um china is now to talk about the cultural revolution i know they talk about they it are more, not open but they're not yeah <laughs> they will not be open marvin the story is still developing um no nothing is set yet so you know we'll we'll, we'll keep an eye on this story there's time ron howard <laughs> do the right thing all right uh my story is um Lucy Liu has signed on to star in the upcoming dramatic feature Rosemead, directed by Eric Lin, um, based on the screenplay by Marilyn Fu, um, which is based on the article um, A Dying Mother's Plan from the LA Times, um, written by Frank Xiong. It's based on a true story that took place in the San Gabriel Valley. Um, The film follows an immigrant mother played by Lucy Liu with terminal cancer who takes desperate measures to help her unstable teenage son as she uncovers his growing obsession with mass shootings. So, uh, feel good Unread. movie, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Super light. <laughs> do we do we want this? 
I, I mean, okay, I, so I'm uh, of like mixed minds for this. Like, I want this as a story to explore mental health um, in immigrant families. Um, I think Lucy Liu, I don't know if I buy her as a mom <laughs> at this point, but um, I do want her to have her shot playing like these dramatic roles. My hesitation is the fact that they named this film Rosemead, uh, which is like Jess and I live next to Rosemead, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I don't know how I feel about a true crime style film named after a real place that people that we know live in that is associated with where we live. It just feels a little icky. Yeah, I mean, I think in a macro level, this is all really great things. It's really highlighting a different kind of story that we haven't seen in the Asian American cinema space, which is very important. You know, we are the population or the demographic with the highest, you know, wealth disparity. It's not all crazy rich Asians. And I think it's important to address and highlight those stories as well. I think Lucy Liu is a phenomenal actor and she definitely should be doing more starring dramatic roles. Um, and I mean, I just like love her as a person. She's like an artist and like, she's so cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I think I have a little few, a, a little like hesitation as well, because um, I don't, I don't know if I buy Lucy Liu as a, not even a mom, but like a poor, <laughs> struggling, like immigrant woman, which I mean, I guess that's acting. So I, I'll hold off on that. Um. There's a little bit of a bigger conversation about is it right to cast? I mean, she is, I believe the real life woman was ethnically Chinese, but came through more of a pathway of a refugee situation uh, mm. from Cambodia. So that is a very different context. The, the creative team who are all people I respect and love and like would lo- like generally love their work is very heavily East Asian. So a little bit like I don't know if the new like I'm a little worried about if is that nuance going to be erased, and then like at the end of the day like this seems to be like this poor woman's worst nightmare right the real life woman who this article is talking about she wanted to be in obscurity she wanted everyone to forget about this horrible thing that happened to her family, and like we're making a movie about it. Yeah, I am also torn for all the reasons you mentioned, but. I also just—I uh, don't love like true crime, and I know a lot of people do, so that's not really a legitimate sort of—I mean—complaint. But I, uh, it is—it is a bummer. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way. I don't have the same type of like, um, like I'm not drawn to true crime like a lot of people seem to be. Um, it seems very like voyeuristic to me to like a kind of extreme level because we're talking about personal tragedies but like using it for entertainment which i mean sure it's 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 not a new thing but at the same time well my hope is that they take this maybe one step into adaptation one step further into adaptation maybe dramatize in a way that isn't just like a one for one recounting of this of what happened in real life because i mean it is it is as bleak as stories get right um, if you haven't read the article, it's, it's very bleak, and it's just and then, and then to me, it's just also I'm wondering like this is like the weird like behind the scenes brain, but like whose life rights do they have to get? They are, I mean, I don't I mean, do I spoil it? I don't know if you want to leave this part in Marvin, but <laughs> I mean they're both dead, 
So whose life rights are they handling? Who are they talking to? Do they have other family? Do they have the blessing? Is it her friend? I mean, it's based on Frank's piece, so I'm sure. So no, they got the rights to his article, obviously. But like traditionally, if you get the rights to an article, you still have to get rights to, you know, the life story, or you have to deal with it. I mean, we're seeing kind of that play out in Hustlers, which is based off an article, but the real life woman is suing, like that whole thing, yeah, because she didn't sign off on it. Mm. And and I do think there's a level of like, yeah, you know, like don't you know, it's. It's either and, it's not enough in public domain to like have this to have I, I feel like they're they're they are still regular people enough to have that expectation of privacy. Also the selfish part of me is just like I don't want anybody talking about the San Gabriel Valley. I don't want anyone to know I wanna <laughs> buy a house here. So like take it somewhere else. Take it to like Silicon Valley or something, okay? <laughs> I want a house here. <laughs> I feel like yeah. Well, I mean, if anything, this will this will shine a negative light on, on our area. So maybe it will drive housing prices down. Actually, no. Okay, it'll, then it'll, I'm, it'll, I'm on board. Let's go. Actually, mm-hmm. you know, it'll probably drive um, like true crime tourists over to Rosemead. To be well, honest, we actually have some nice true true crime um, things in our area. The apparently, you know, the house that Robert Blake shot someone in that's like apparently in alhambra <laughs> i did not know this i was like wild wow yep all right jess do you have another story for us yes on a brighter note <laughs> the reboot of doogie hauser yes the one with neil patrick harris has been greenlit and will be coming to disney plus as a 10 episode series run by courtney king um, it's set in modern in Hawaii, and Doogie is reimagined as a 16-year-old girl um, who is biracial, white, and Hawaiian. And we're going to follow her in her career, as well as, you know, her home life with her mother and her, like, Hawaiian, like, chill father. Um, and I'm, like, very excited about this. I have not seen the original. Um, I'm, like, aware of it as a cultural product, but I think this is such a fun smart way to update the series um and i like how it is being set in a contemporary hawaii with a you know biracial white and native hawaiian maybe potentially some part asian you know main character because that's like what hawaii is and you know any story about hawaii that's not centered around rich white people i'm for (laughs) yeah i was i think i was brought up too young to catch the Doogie Hauser fever, but I knew of Doogie Hauser, and not that I knew Neil Patrick who he was when he appeared in Harold and Kumar. But uh, yeah, this sounds really great. This sounds like, um, I mean, it sounds like they're putting in, and like like we mentioned throughout this entire episode, all we really want from these projects is people to put in the due care to tell mm-hmm. the story at least um, in a more in a more nuanced way, right? We, we want to see mm-hmm. people, if you're going to tell a story centered on people of color or based on people of color, that you put in the effort to make sure that you tell that story right, either mm-hmm. by putting people in place to write those stories or to, you know, work with those, those, those communities to, you know, to tell a better story because it's real easy to mess this shit up, right? 
Yes. And I know Courtney's committed to, you know, staffing correctly. They're on the search. Melvin Marr, who did Fresh Off the Boat and a bunch of other projects with like The Rock, is they're on the search for someone to play Doogie. So that's also very exciting. You know, this is an opportunity for a teenage Native Hawaiian or PI actor, a female actor to get her foot in the door. Um, I also just think it's really exciting to see biracial, a biracial coming of age story that is deliberately so you know we have a lot i think we've seen like biracial characters but it's not really explored in depth about what that means you know it's just kind of shown and like the story is about something else um and i I, i'm excited to see how they'll explore that because i do think it's that's the future i think i forgot what the statistic is but you know in like 20 years like more like the majority of new of of people are going to be like mixed race right that's kind of where our world is going yeah so to actually explore this in like a family friendly four quadrant way and like <laughs> not just dropping it as set dressing but really talking about it i'm very excited to see chill local boy hawaiian dad and who <laughs> they'll cast for that um and you know crazy kind of it seems like her mom who is the her white mother is like the more like intense aggro like tiger quote tiger mom one who is also working at the hospital and that's also a dynamic we don't really see right in in the way that like families are like at least heterosexual (laughs) sitcom families are portrayed in terms of like race relations so and like yeah it's exciting yeah and like you mentioned it's actually it's kind of sad how refreshing this is but having a show set in hawaii that actually stars native hawaiian like pi people again not wipe any show about Hawaii that's not about a rich person, white person who owns land in Hawaii and doesn't know what to do about it. Like, I feel like that's every project I've seen about Hawaii, <laughs> right? And it's so it's it's not about vacationing there. It's about living there. And what does what do real people do? And I mean, real to the extent that you're a 16 year old doctor. But yeah, it's it seems like a very cute project. And I'm very happy for Courtney. You know, she's had some really great, great projects and development that just didn't end up going to series like she had that really cool lakers girl you know a, a sitcom her background is how i met your mother right she was the one she was story yeah she was like that? a co-ep on yeah. how i met your mother um and she is from hawaii and grew up there so yeah very exciting how i met your mother starring nph oh Hey. I wonder. Oh wait do you hey. think do you think he'll make a cameo appearance he has to right? oh he, he better wouldn't it be great if he's like the chief of the hospital or something? It's like 10 episodes. It's not a huge commitment. Yeah. He totally would. He's there for a conference. Also, like, who doesn't want to shoot in Hawaii? I don't care what the show is. It could be like Space Gremlins at night, but we're going to film it in Hawaii. I was like, sure, I'll do it. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> All right, Han, what do you got? All right. So, uh, also keeping it pretty light. And going back to the rom-com field, um, we have the trans-led romantic comedy. I think it's Relive, not Relive, A Tale of an American Island Cheerleader. Um, so according to Variety, Rain Valdez, uh, who was nominated for a an Emmy uh, for a short, I believe. Um, uh, yeah, a short form comedy or drama for her lead role in Razor Tongue. So she co-wrote with Rachel Laco and um they will star in it. Is everything I like so far. Okay, basically 
it is high school reunion, 10 year high school reunion. Yes. (laughs) It is interestingly set in Guam. Uh, Yes. And they decide to do a do over week. Yes. So Valdez plays a 29 year old transgender Hollywood movie star, Rowena. Uh, yes. So she decides to face her past and go back to her hometown uh, to live her childhood dream of becoming a cheerleader. We love it. <laughs> we love it. Uh, she's committed to the cheer squad. Oh, wait, wait, sorry. Uh, her commitment to the cheer squad falters when her mother's cancer spreads, which sad, but it's a rom-com, uh. so it's not going to be horrible. Um, and Leiko will play uh, play her sister, uh, Romina's sister. And I'm just all over this because, first of all, I love high school reunion movies. Just same. Anytime anyone wants to. And I think it's not just it's different from the going back to your hometown movies because there's something about reliving the school experience that's different. And and you get to see people how they were in the past, how often there's like a bully or some mean girl who gets their mm-hmm. comeuppance there are I mean- bad clothes there are songs no it's great because it's like high school drama which is like i think we can all agree fairly petty and like non-consequential but with adults so yeah. it's like really I fun i feel like right? the high school reunions in as high school reunions on screen play very differently than high school reunions in real life because in real life no one wants to go but in <laughs> on the screen it's all about I'm gonna go back and show them how awesome yeah. I am now, right? It's all about the 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 petty like mental revenge story. Yeah, it's just it's just fascinating, and also because it is a rom com, so it's just it's a tight, you know, like under two hours. So and it's and it's gonna turn out all right. There's gonna be some justice, hopefully. Uh, some I hope the lead is the lead romantic lead love interest is like just hot and like shirtless do you think he'd be like the volleyball coach or something has to be uh rain is Football pretty hot player. so oh rain's hot like super yeah. hot so like we gotta get so some we like gotta hot get it equal right shirtless yeah tan dude whatever it is like it's in guam so i'm assuming these are maybe army brats perhaps i'm not sure unless it's people who are it's a local i i'm so i'm there are many possibilities for this. So, uh, yeah, anyway, I've never wanted to become a cheerleader, but, you know, I'm glad that she gets to relive her dream. Yeah. Um, and, I, yeah, I I, I want to see some, maybe some bad cheer routines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I would say I definitely want this because, again, it sucks that this is such a refreshing thing or, like, such a interesting or noteworthy thing, but, like, having a trans woman play a trans woman on screen like it doesn't happen that often right and in a comedy that's the other thing it's not i mean yes there will be some dramatic stuff going on obviously her mother and you know maybe people who don't hasn't followed her story from high school but at the same time i'm like this can only be hopefully a triumph and and i'm kind of you know i'm glad that this isn't necessarily about the the traumas and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, it, it it's gonna be hopeful and um, yeah, fun. Yes, we love to see it. <laughs> yeah. What do you have, Marvin? 
All right. Our last story is something that I am personally very excited about. So um, Marie Lu's novel Warcross has been optioned by Made Up Stories and producer John Cameron um, for a TV series. Um, which is something that I'm personally very excited about because I've read the Warcraft series and I'm very excited that it's coming to coming to the screen. Uh, Marie Lu is a pretty prolific author in the YA space. She's read two trilogies, um, The Young Elites and something else. But um, she's also known for, I think she wrote a bunch of Batman, uh, Batman stories for DC. Um, and Warcross is her... Um, is one of her projects. It's a duology. The first book's called Warcross. The second book is called Wildcard. And it's kind of, it's a sci-fi cyberpunk um, dystopia uh, YA adventure about a um, a girl named Emika Chen, who's um, half Japanese, half Chinese, who is a bounty hunter and master hacker. Um, and basically she gets pulled into, so it takes place in the future where there's this AR, like esports um, game called Warcross, uh, which is like the new the, the biggest thing in, in this world and she gets pulled into she accidentally hacks into the biggest tournament and as a result um gets hired by the ceo of the company that runs warcross to uncover a suspected conspiracy by infiltrating the competition as a competitor um while working secretly for um the boss Hideo, who happens to be i guess really hot but also yes. super aloof and we cold. love it. There's no like inappropriate shenanigans with this hot boss dude and like this teenage woman, is there? Well, he's a hot young boss dude. He's oh, young. Wait, oh, you gotta clarify that, Marvin, because <laughs> yeah. we need to I mean, know who to ship. They are yeah, age still low me too, though. They like, are? if he's her boss, they are mm. age appropriate. <laughs> so is this like a YA thing? It or is, is a it YA more... thing. Yeah. Okay. Okay, but like, do you think they're gonna cast in like true YA, like a like a Stranger Things, where it's like actually age appropriate, or do you think they're gonna do like a CW where everyone is third or Riverdale where everyone is thirty but they're playing seventeen year old? I can see both. I can see like a Paxton, um, like a Paxton Hall Yoshida thing. <laughs> Yoshida, oh my god! <clears throat> yes, cast him. Cast that one. Cast that one. I mean, there are t- a ton of. I mean, there are a ton of actors in their thirties that could technically play young you know like um this past week uh we saw the premiere of the hbo apa visionaries shorts one of them stars ki hong lee and i had to break it to a very heartbroken girl that ki hong lee is like 36 years old (laughs) or 34 years old oh does she think he was like 16 or something yeah or at least early 20s (laughs) oh was it an intern of yours Well, you know, this is the problem sometimes when you cast Asians because everyone looks young. Even when I was watching um, The Girl Who Left Home and I knew how old Paolo Montalban should have been, I was still like, until they mentioned it, I was like, is he really supposed to play that? Because it felt weird because I, I, you know, he still looked like 30. I mean, but that's the thing, right? I feel like, (laughs) like, I feel like Asians can pull that off without it feeling weird. As opposed to like a, um, uh, what's his face? Dawson's yes. Creek thing? Where no, no. Like... I, I totally agree. They can play younger. What I was saying is he didn't even look his age. So I kept feeling like. Yeah. Yeah, he <laughs> so when they his... play like true to age, you're yeah. like, wait, what? Because like exactly. John Cho is like closer to 50. Right. Than, you know, most people think he is. Oh, yeah. And I'm just like, but if you were to cast John Cho as a 50 year old man, I'd be like, that's not right. Right. Like he's. Because even when like he has, I mean, if he puts on the beard, he can look yeah. a little more daddy. 
They right. need to they need to salt and pepper him up, you know. I think that I think that was actually part of the yeah. reason that I had a problem. I mean, that's that's yeah. the thing with um Death Patel, right? Death Patel can probably still play like early twenties, like maybe late oh, teens he, if he wanted he to. He should not shave the beard off. No, he should <laughs> not be allowed. I'm going to specifically run for Congress or like some kind of international body. I guess he's British, so Parliament, and be like, I'm going to pass a specific law. This is the he's Death not Patel bill. To shave off his beard. Yeah, because it's just too attractive. Um, But yeah, (laughs) I think I want this for all the said reasons that this will give an opportunity for us to find our Asian American YA lead, like the next generation. I mean, they can probably cast Lana Condor or whatever and make it work. (laughs) But hopefully this will, they'll like, I'm hoping they'll do a search and we'll bring in some fresh talent to be the next generation of like, young hot hollywood young hot asian hollywood you know yeah especially since she's gonna supposed to be like japanese chinese i would like to see some new fresh talent um also you know we can always have you know schoolmates we can have over on doogie hauser we can have like other students so we we don't have to just have one um but yeah I'm, i'm looking forward to it i just found it on uh lapl so i'm gonna borrow this book right now and get ready it's actually pretty good. I enjoyed it. Um, the second book, <laughs> um, it ends on a pretty good cliffhanger. So the second book's good too. Mm. Uh, but yeah, um, congrats to Marie Lu for getting her work option. I love that. Um, so I host another podcast called Books and Bulba where we read books by Asian, Asian American authors. And whenever one of those books gets option, I'm like super excited because um, I think just like we mentioned with the Ron Howard thing, there's no shortage of Asian American or Asian storytellers or stories out there. And so like not being able to find a good story that people will like is no longer like an excuse, right? It's not, at least not a good one. It's a lazy excuse. I hope the publishing world knows that every single Asian centered YA book is really written. You know, Marvin is really the key demographic here (laughs) and he's the biggest fan. So props to Marvin for, you know, boosting that up. I'll take care of the YA stuff. You guys can take care of the romance stuff. And sometimes there's an overlap. Yes, I was going to say. I like it all. Yeah. And with that, that'll do it for this edition of Do We Want This? Um, lots of cool stuff coming up. Lots of great projects down the road. Lots of really cool stories to follow. Um, who knew that the pandemic would still be this busy? I think um, I think it's a good sign that at least... We'll still have cool things to watch down the road. Uh, Jess Han, thank you again so much for joining me to talk about our good pop. If people want to follow you on social media, where can they go? I'm on Twitter at JustJewTweets. And I am at Anonymous. You can find me at Marvin Yeo. You can follow the show at Good Pop Club. And listen and subscribe to our show by going to the website GoodPop.club. We're a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. You can check out our fellow Asian-hosted podcasts by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, thanks so much for listening. Bye, Bye. everyone. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Hey, 
Brian. Did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada's a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 